0: at one point i had to get off my horse and go and express milk into a cup so they made me these these fake breasts for expressing milk which of course didn't always work entirely the way they were supposed to because they were prosthetics it would just shoot off in all directions all over the place and like i'm sure at one point katrina got squirted with it just those really bizarre scenes that you find yourself doing in in, in in jobs like ours you know where you're just standing with each other with your top off in a forest pretending to to, to milk yourself <laughs>
1: Hello, this is your host Graham Rooney and welcome to A Performer, A Pint and A Pod. The podcast where I take you down the pub and we meet a performer, have a drink and find out the tiddly truth you only get in a pub. I'll be chatting to fantastic performers at all different points of their careers discussing where they've come from, career-defining moments and of course, guilty pleasures. All whilst having a laugh, and getting a wee bit pissed. Fancy a pint with a pop star, a whiskey with your West End idol, or a mojito with a magician? Then join me down the pub. So, without further ado, let's head down to the local and see which one of the nation's top performers is in there tonight. Hi, please, mate. Thank you very much. This week I'm extremely happy to be joined by Olivier Award winning actress Laura Donnelly who's been involved in amazing productions throughout her career working with people such as Sam Mendes, Paddy Considine, Hugh Jackman and Dominic West. Laura Donnelly, welcome to A Performer, A Pint and A Pot.
0: Thank you very much. How are you? I am very well, thanks. I'm getting bored of lockdown, but apart from that, I am very well.
1: Oh well, that is understandable. What are you drinking this evening?
0: I'm drinking a lovely non-alcoholic Heineken beer. I think that's I think that's the chosen drink of the next James Bond movie. Really? I think it is. I think that's who's sponsoring it, Heineken Zero.
1: Well, there we go. Yeah. God, that's changed. James Bond has changed know, a bit.
0: I know. Even, <laughs> even James Bond is going woke.
1: Oh, what's happened what's happened <laughs> to the world? All oh, right. Dear me. Yeah. Although admittedly, what's what's happened to you as well? I well, mean, that's seriously. a very good
0: point. Well lockdowns happened. I think if I continued um treating lockdown like it was a big summer holiday party, then then I wasn't gonna come out of lockdown, so I decided to decided to switch tack.
1: Well, admittedly I I have to agree on that because the mountain I've drank uh I, I'm I'm turning into Homer Simpson um exactly. through lockdown um so
0: <laughs> exactly and I, once the lockdown finishes and I get back to work I have to be like um training at stunts training and fighting people and stuff like that it's just and I'm, and getting a corset and I'm not going to fit in that corset if I kept going the way I was going so I decided to knock it on the head
1: you have to well well well, you know i mean i had ideas of how i was going to start this but you've just said (laughs) you've just said that you're going to do stunts training in a corset yep
0: it's great fun
1: what what's that for
0: it's for a a new show for hbo called the nevers it's um it's a Joss Whedon project. It's his new big return to TV. And uh, we are filming in London or were filming in London. And um, it's all set in the Victorian age. So I'm, I'm wearing a corset in it. But my character um, gets into a lot of bother, I should say. And uh, there's only so much I'm allowed to say about this project. And being, being careful.
1: <laughs> halfway through that sentence you went, I maybe shouldn't say this.
0: It's going am I in trouble? Am I fired? No, I can I think I can say that. I think it's been generally uh, put out there that that um, that I get to do stunts, which is very, very fun. But doing them all in a corset is, is a bit is a bit more challenging. So I've been doing loads of training and we have an amazing stunts team and I've been learning all sorts and uh, we have the same stunts team that did, did all of um, Game of Thrones and so they are just like the best of the best, it's so much fun and yeah, I've been getting, I've been learning lots of new skills in a corset
1: Well, I don't think that is something that's ever going to happen to me
0: <laughs> You never know, it's, it's a very progressive show You You, well, you, you might find yourself in a in a corset in our show at some point.
1: Well, I mean, it has always been my dream, yeah, as you bet. know, yeah. uh, to be a corset stunt man. <laughs> um, that, like, in drama school, that was always always what I said that I wanted to
0: be. Well, there you go. And in Joss Whedon world, all rules are off. So I think uh, I think you've got every possibility of finally realizing that dream.
1: Right, and this is it's the the nevers.
0: Yeah, it's called the nevers.
1: And what uh, is is your character in the never?
0: Now, see, here's where it gets tricky. Where I start thinking, what can I say? What can't I say? My name in it is Amalia True, and I am the leader of a bunch of, uh, let's say, misfits. I guess is the best is is the is the appropriate <laughs> term. Um, it's uh, set like I said, in the Victorian age. And, and so it's uh, a group of mainly women, though not entirely women, um, who find themselves with uh, particular, different... Um,
1: unusual abilities. Un- there
0: you go. Unusual abilities. I think that was the one in the press release, wasn't it? Yeah, because that's the thing. It's it's not necessarily that they've all got powers. It's not like, you know, like an X-Men thing. Um, so they they don't necessarily know what they're doing with these things but we all bandy together and I'm I'm kind of leading them in in a in a mission um and we come up against all sorts of enemies but it's uh it's all very it, it takes kind of a a long time through the scripts to begin to understand this world that they're in, because of course the majority of this world has come not from reality or from Victorian times, but out of the really insane mind of Joss. And uh, so it's very, very like layered three-dimensional world that, that they're in. And um, we kind of spent the first half of filming the season in about as much confusion as uh, as anybody else will be as you just kind of work your way through and get these clues as to, to what's actually going on in this world that they're in.
1: But the thing about it is, looking, looking at your CV, I don't know, you seem to be some somewhat of, of, of a fantasy specialist, <laughs> uh, which sounds, sounds terrible, <laughs>
0: <really>. <laughs>
1: That is not how I meant that to come out. I'm sorry if your mother is listening or your father. I'm truly sorry. That's not what I meant.
0: Well, uh, I wouldn't. What do so mean?
1: What it mean? Is it obviously you've done stuff like Hex Merlin, Beowulf, Outland, and Merlin and Beowulf, Outlander, Britannia. So. It's all these the list of fantastical things that you've been... Mm. How, I mean, how, how did you become such a specialist in this area? <laughs> I didn't
0: mean to be. Um, it's funny, actually. I've never really... I've genuinely never really looked at it in that way. I've kind of always taken the next... Well, you know what it's like as an actor. Sometimes you're taking the job because you need to pay your rent. Sometimes you're taking it because it interests you. Um, And so there wasn't necessarily starting out any particular thread that I wanted to follow uh work-wise it was just that I wanted to to do stuff that 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 I found um you know was appealing and interesting to me and good scripts and um so some of that stuff is is just stuff that I was kind of cutting my teeth on and then other stuff is uh, is because um I I loved the script or loved who I'd be working with or loved the character. And
1: I would think that one of those jobs would be Outlander. Yeah, I'm sure that was an amazing experience and uh, there was a lot of people that you knew on it. Mm -hmm. Um, Could you just uh, tell me a bit about the filming and some of the fantastic scenes that you shot?
0: Yeah, I mean, I got, God, got had a brilliant time in Outlander. It was really fun. I loved being back up in Scotland because, obviously, we studied in Scotland. And um, being able to be based in Glasgow was just great. I think that was the first time I had been back up for any length of time in Glasgow um, since about a year after we finished college. And, um, yeah, like you say, it was loads of the cast we both already knew from before, the obvious one being Sam. He was the year above us in college. And uh, he's just... I oh, will,
1: Sorry, Cannon. Mm. I, I actually killed Sam in Rebus as well. Yeah, you know? there, you go. <laughs> there you go. I've murdered Sam. Oh
0: it. you murdered Sam Hugh and you're gonna be you're gonna get hate mail now.
1: I know all all Outlander fans like it was Rebus. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was Rebus and I, I did it so that he could then become the lead in Outlander. Exactly. And if he'd have
0: survived in Rebus, then where would everybody be now?
1: <laughs> exactly. There you go. So I did a good You did time. it, you
0: did a favour. Um but yeah, no, I mean he's a he's a joy to work with. He's such He's such a lovely guy and he's such a pro he works so hard and you know he works hard even beyond the hours that he, he that he um that he films you know I remember getting dropped off at my hotel one night after we'd finished day's filming but he was going off to to go to the gym for a couple of hours and you know it's like he's just constantly constantly working and um you know he puts so much heart and effort into that show and uh it's just it's thrilling to see it pay off in such a way for him and you know my my other we worked I worked with Stephen Cree as well obviously he played my husband Ian and um we we both knew him through college even though he was a couple of years above us and so we didn't we never met him uh in the college world but but we met him through obviously all the mutual friends that exist around, around that school um and he's such a great laugh and my but my favorite memory of the whole thing I have to say was uh scenes that I got to shoot in the first season with Katrina Balfe who plays Claire and she is just I didn't know Katrina at all before we worked together at Outlander and she was just a joy to behold she's such a wonderful intelligent like super intelligent woman and she is so friendly and so kind and also, you know, works her ass off on that set. She's she's you know number one on that call sheet, and she is um, just holding that show up at all times. And she does it with such spirit and with such grace and generosity. And she made me feel so included in that in that show coming in as you know they. Uh, They'd already, I think I filmed one or two scenes at the very start, uh, which was also Sam's first day of filming. And then I had like several months break and they got on with the series. And then I came in towards the kind of second half of the, of the series being filmed. And she was amazingly welcoming. And so we got to do these scenes where uh, we were out in the, the wilderness in scotland looking for jamie when he had disappeared and we got to uh, uh be on horses though through the whole journey and i absolutely fell in love with horse riding during during that shoot so it was just she and i like selma louise just riding along the scottish countryside <laughs> and like up through all of these hills with like forests and everything and and um it really did feel like we were going through the thing that the characters were feeling. We were camping out and it was such fun. And the, I mean, part of it, it was so lovely because I was actually going through a really tricky time in my personal life at that point and And I was having a really difficult couple of weeks. And the, the, the experience of being there in the middle of nowhere with just Katrina and just us filming these like, these all-female scenes—it was so magical, and it really took my mind completely away from real life and from this other world. And we just got to exist in that for several days, and it was just such—I have such fond memories of that shoot and of her as a result. And we got to do all sorts of fun things. She was also my birthing partner in the birthing scene that we shot in that season as well, and that was hilarious. We had such fun doing that, crawling around the floor and screaming. It was—we'd uh, <laughs> yeah—we had a lot of fun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So so for the Outlander uh fans who will be listening in, um is there any sort of behind the scenes um, sort of hilarity, fun, possibly even that birthed scene uh, uh, shenanigans that you could tell. Yeah, I mean,
0: the, yeah, the birthing scene was hilarious because it was just like me crawling around with this prosthetic belly on, and 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 K- Katrina crawling around behind me, like with her head really rather close to my arse, um, just <laughs> just happened to like coach me through this this fake birth, and I'm screaming to the point of bursting blood vessels in my eyes, and it was like we had to do all this and like really, really get wrapped up and every time they shouted cut we would just fall about laughing it was it was so funny
1: it really was so in summary from what what you've just said there it (laughs) sounds like you've got a fake belly on yeah and he's screaming into your arse how to give birth (laughs)
0: Yeah, it was, uh, like I say, it was a bonding experience. There was that. And there was also when I had to, again, fake body parts. I had to, because uh, three days after I've given birth to that child is when we go out looking for Jamie in the wilderness. So um, at one point, I had to get off my horse and go and express milk into a cup. So they made me these these fake breasts for expressing milk which of course didn't always work entirely the way they were supposed to I mean they were a work of genius on the part of the art department um and they had all these tubes up through them and it took me hours lying in hair and makeup to get them you know put on to me and and all that and then I had to like work them essentially how you would really do it how you'd really express but then of course the milk because they were prosthetics it would just shoot off in all directions all over the place And like I'm sure at one point <laughs> Katrina got squirted with it and it was just- it was a bit it was a bit messy but it, you know it's it's just those really bizarre scenes that you find yourself doing in in, in in jobs like ours you know where you're just standing with each other with your top off in a forest pretending to to, to milk yourself <laughs> it was
1: really weird wow so they i mean how to destroy like the sh- like like for all the outlander fans like all, all of a sudden what was a what, these beautiful scenes so well acted all they're going to have now is someone coaching uh, someone with a prosthetic belly screaming into their arse, followed by them squirting into their eye from the, like <laughs> the milk, milk like a super well, It's
0: actually surprisingly realistic because those are the hilarious, ridiculous, absolutely lacking in dignity moments that you have to go through whenever babies are concerned. So it was again, you know, that's it's often how women do end up bonding, and it was and it was that with us, except it was all being filmed.
1: <laughs> well, there we go. Realism is what we're aiming for. Yeah, Um, (laughs) even in a world of fantasy, would you say that's a genre you enjoy working in?
0: I've never uh, taken a job based on genre at all, and actually, it wouldn't be. Had I been focused on genre, it wouldn't have been one that I would have chosen. But I have found that the the characters I've got to play, especially in the kind of say second half or third third of my career have been uh it, it, it's been because they are just really fun interesting roles to play and and uh, you know I've done I've done other stuff that isn't along those lines like the the, the fall and um and a few other bits and yeah. pieces that are more kind of modern and set in in more of a real world um and I don't know I just kind of yeah like i say i haven't chosen them based on genre. i guess it's the way it's accidentally worked out and I think that just a lot more t v like that is being made as well at the moment because um yeah. people want big visuals big uh budgets and and new worlds because it's it's it provides a level of escapism for people that uh doesn't necessarily come about through uh an everyday drama um w- with this particular project uh it what what appealed to me was who was making it you know the fact that it was Joss who just is is so crazy talented and intelligent and imaginative um mm. that that and the fact that it was being made by a network whose shows I have always adored I mean I don't think I've ever watched anything on HBO that I haven't loved and I just I just associate them with quality and I knew with those two elements put together that this could be something really special
1: well I, I mean I think that's the thing it's it's brilliant and it's it's fantastic that you're going back to something uh like that after after lockdown as well yeah I
0: feel very very lucky to be have been in the midst of that you know it could have gone any which way had we only just been beginning this project then who knows it could have just been put by the wayside and never got started or you know I don't know but we were kind of halfway through shooting it I think we were in in the process of shooting episode five and um so you know and now it's just kind of it's a it's a ball that's rolling downhill so we just need to get back and get it finished now we can't we all cannot wait to get back on that set
1: well I mean I have to say it is amazing because I was in your class at drama school Uh, um, and it is brilliant to to be listening to yourself talk about being a regular on an HBO uh, oh. show because it, oh, no, it, it's, a, it's, it's a phenomenal thing. I think when we, we see anyone uh, that we know of our peers, anyone in our class especially, um, yeah. it, it it's amazing uh, when you see uh, people achieve it because it does seem so distant when you're in drama school. I know, uh, it's mad, that, isn't it?
0: you got to um, kind of, yeah, I try and always keep, and thank you for that, by the way, that's very, Kind and lovely, and I think the thing that I do try and do as much as I can is um, to go back to that feeling of being in college or finishing college, and th- you know, just remind myself of the mindset of where what my expectations for myself were, and in comparison to where I am now, and because of course, as as anybody no matter where they are in an acting career, I think you can always get frustrated and you can always feel like it's not going where you want it to or fast enough or whatever. And, um, you know, to, to kind of go back to that point and, and remember what I thought the possibilities were and, and then see that, you know, I kind of achieved more than, than I thought was possible for me is just a really good reminder to be, to be grateful for the whole thing
1: yeah and like i mean you never have been someone who just takes uh, things for granted or anything like that you'd always mm-hmm. like you always appreciated everything um yeah. even when we were at drama school um like you know Uh, We were, I think, both certainly people that were just over the moon and enjoying the fact that we were in a top drama school. It was like, wow.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) So, yeah. yeah. No expectations, just all pleasant surprises.
1: But, yes, exactly. Um, But, I mean, like like I say, I mean, you've obviously, uh, HBO, you're doing just now, um, Mm -hmm. but I would say something else. Um, that you may never have thought is that you would be standing holding a livy Award as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was a surprise.
1: <laughs> well, one, it's absolutely phenomenal that you did that. Um, that is an amazing achievement. Um, and I, I even have I have of the people that were on the list with you that night that says says it all <laughs> for me. Like you know, I mean, on the night this is this is who you beat like you know let's like you know you beat Imelda Staunton you beat Audra McDonald a six-time Tony award winner (laughs) you know a couple of Grammys I think she's got as well
0: Uh, probably yes Um,
1: and 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 just the last name in the list was Oscar nominee Leslie Manville (laughs) now you know I know that you're just, like, you're over the moon that you got your, your <laughs> Olivia Award, but if that was me and I was looking at that list, I'd be going, damn, I did well. I like, <laughs> that, like, you know, come on.
0: Well, look, the good news is that that, uh, that wasn't lost on me and it hasn't worn off. <laughs>
1: I don't know how, I mean, look, at that, I mean, and Olivia no, but, like, in all seriousness, um, the Olivia Awards are, um, they're, Absolute creep of the crop, uh, when it comes to theater and for an actress, uh, in, in I was going to say the UK, but in the world, and Olivia Ward's kind of like the Oscar, um, of, of the stage, isn't it? Um, so I mean,
0: it's it's uh, it's one of those things that, of course, as we all know, you don't go into particularly into a career like this, uh, chasing things like that, that's not the point, but whenever, um, that did happen it it was it it kind of is just a, is a is a representation of something you can you know you can point to as a a solid marker in the middle of everything and go okay well there's just something that happened to me that i can point to and be absolutely proud of and over the moon with and and it kind of just says something solid to me about um the work I had done up to that point which is is lovely you know and had it had it not happened um I mean my god I was just genuinely thrilled to be nominated I didn't two years before that there's no way that I saw that in in my future and um and so it was such you know people always say it's such a cliche but it genuinely was such an honor to be nominated and like you say in a in a, in a category with those other goddesses it was, um, it was
1: <laughs> they're not bad they I not mean they but,
0: you know it was it was just one of those things where I thought god I really really never ever would have seen this happening and it just it goes to show how things can s- surprise you at any point how you never know what's around the corner how um if you just work really hard and concentrate on the work then very nice things like that are possible but um but they're not they're not the thing to focus on and so i'm really glad that it hadn't something like that had not been in my head in any shape or form when I you know was in rehearsals for the ferryman or was you know on the first night of the ferryman or anything like that um because if you walked on that stage thinking now I'm going to you know win <laughs> myself an Olivier over the, the course of the next six months of doing this play that's what I'm going to achieve it would be it'd be disastrous and yeah, of um, course yeah of it's course. just you know it's a, it's just a really lovely thing to be recognized by your peers in that way
1: and, and and like you've just said, uh, it was the ferryman uh, that you won mm-hmm. the award for. Um, mm-hmm. uh, how did how did that come about? And uh, just, well, just tell us tell us a bit about it as well.
0: Well, um, it kind of uh, it began because the the story um, part part of the the story in 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 that play is based on my. Uh, mother's brother who had been killed by the ira in the early 80s Mm. and his body was found three years later and this is uh this is a thing that uh has happened in the north of ireland over the course of the troubles where where there was a particular group of people who uh were were murdered and then were disappeared and nobody would know sometimes for decades uh, what had happened to that loved one and it resulted in um, trauma for the families and loved ones left behind and so it was it was something that I had discussed with uh, my boyfriend Jez who wrote the play and we actually had just happened to be watching a documentary on it and he took that as inspiration for what he wanted to to write and how he wanted to link it to um experiences of his own so that's that was kind of the beginning point oh, of the whole play
1: i mean that really is an, an, an amazing story of how how something mm. that basically became the west end must see play i mm. mean it became, like the show itself um everyone was raving about uh, and obviously uh like we'd say you've won the Olivier for it as well so for it to come from a conversation um in your household uh i mean that that is that is unbelievable
0: yeah i mean i wish i could take any credit for that but of course i didn't didn't write the thing um it was you know it's it's kind of it's the way that that jez works and that he will have a lot of things turning around in his own head stuff that 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 Haunts him essentially, and then he will find something someday that will click from outside of himself, from something in the world that will latch onto that idea, and then create a, some a layered story, something that exists in the reality of what is going on in that story, in the moment, you know, on that stage among those characters, and then and then the deeper layers of it that say something about the things that bother him, the things that haunt him. So it was just that fact it was, it was to do with, for him, the things that he was, um, I guess, struggling with around that time or, or, or in some way, uh, dealing with, or maybe not dealing with, I think is the, is the key, um, that, that then were to do with disappearance and family and, uh, and, and ghosts of families past. And, um, how people can disappear in different forms with, within a relationship, within a family. How you can be present but not present, or you can be um, gone but still not fully gone in somebody's mind, and and all of those things that were bothering him. Then once he found out about this particular story in my family, this this event, um, that just they, those two things latched together. And actually, what had happened was. He then, my mum would always go to the funerals of any of the disappeared who were found over the years, and it just so happened that around that time, two of the youngest of the disappeared, who were only I think sixteen and seventeen at the time, or seventeen and eighteen, um, yeah. they they their bodies were found, and this was forty odd years later, um, and because there were two funerals in one go, because the boys were found their bodies were found together. Uh, my mom wanted to go to both, but didn't know if she could handle two in such close proximity. And so asked me to go with her and Jez came with me. And it was from sitting in those churches and watching those families and people who were now in their 60s, but had been peers, brothers, sisters and everything of those boys at the time, watching yeah. how their lives had moved on and how those boys hadn't. That was what really uh, struck him.
1: Jeez. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't really know what to say. I mean, it's it truly horrific, and mm. um, like um, it's fantastic that he's able to turn that into a piece of theatre um, that everyone can then appreciate. Absolutely, um,
0: it's one of those things that I'm really jealous of because, of course, as actors, we're we don't um we don't necessarily create that kind of thing from the ground up. We wait to interpret somebody else's work you know and and then of course at that point we bring our own experiences and our own hauntings and our own issues in with that and, um, and in many ways work through those through the 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 words of someone else but uh to sit down and just find it with no other influence just find it somewhere in your in your soul or in your brain and just spill it out i think that's a that's an amazing thing i'm very jealous of the, the ability to do that
1: <laughs> well i think there's a lot of people are very jealous at you being able to interpret it though as well,
0: that <laughs> well, is the well we've thing. all got reasons to be jealous of each other but it's all it's all, <laughs> uh, it's all a one
1: would you say um that the ferryman was a, a real gear change for you it definitely um.
0: was, yeah. I mean, the reason that I'm doing the HBO show is because Joss Whedon came to see the Ferryman in the Royal Court in its first in its first iteration. Um, in those you know short four weeks that we got to do it at the Royal Court before we moved to the West End, and so it's because he's a massive theatre buff that then he saw that and just kept me in his head that whole time. So I didn't know anything about that until years later. I think it was 2016, seventeen. That we opened at the Royal Court, and it was the start of 2019 that I met Joss. So you know he'd been he'd had that percolating in his head for two years while he was writing this piece, and then get me a call. So you never know the way those things link up, you know. But um, but it was definitely it was because of that that I then ended up in a room with Joss and doing this now. Nice. So yeah, it was it was a definite gear change. But I think as well as that, it was it um, it was a it was a gear change. Uh, personally in, in how i uh, viewed my own acting and and how not not just the the confidence that that it gave me but but the skills that I got to develop in doing it and the the way that I attached to that particular piece of theater um more than I'd attached to anything before that it it just taught me a lot of different things about how the kind of work that I wanted to be doing and Uh, and the way that it should feel when every when everything is in place what you know how how it should feel when you're doing a job that you're meant to do that you that you love doing and so that really informed me just as an actor as well so I think those two things then go hand in hand that when you figure that stuff out for yourself then it has a it has a big effect on your on, on the rest of your your work going forward.
1: So, so would you say that, like, because of the ferryman, your skills were better and more complete as an actress um, because of that show? And you feel that you reached places that you've never reached as an actress before?
0: Definitely, Um, and I think though that that happened in every job I had done previous to that as well, because it's you know it is a journey. You should be learning all the time. You should be honing that craft all the time and then you take whatever that particular job throws up at you in that moment or whatever's going on in your life at that moment and you know and you and you use all of those to develop as a person and then therefore as an actor and uh and and I think this was just if if every job does that a little bit then this one felt like it did it just more than all the ones that have gone forward but it was it was part of a a a journey that i i felt like i'd been on particularly with theater for for some time like i had i had um first of all really rediscovered um a a passion for theater a few years before that in um in the donmar doing in philadelphia here i come and right. th- that was something i think i'd kind of lost my way with theater a little bit before that um not not that i'd necessarily lost enthusiasm but i think i was I, I think i wasn't really being open to to learning more and and or there was some part of it that that i i had, hadn't quite clicked with me yet and and some of that is just doing the work getting on with the work um, part of it is just getting older and you know, you gain life experience on top of everything else. And so I think that the kind of doing Philadelphia sparked that. And then straight after I did Philadelphia Here I Come, I did um another one of Jez's plays is the play that I that I met him on, which was The River at the Royal Court. And that really yes. the experience of doing that and and the experience of working with Ian Rickson as a director at that point had a really really strong effect on me as well um there was something about the way ian works the rehearsal process how much he um immerses you in the world of the play something extremely uh, magical felt like it happened during that rehearsal process and again that was another big turning point and a shift that felt at that point quite seismic and so these these are all you know Shifts and then more shifts and then more shifts that, that are heading towards something that, if you're open to them and you learn from, from them in the right way and you're just kind of willing to take in everything that you can get from those experiences, then, then they, they help just move you on as an actor. And I felt like by the time I got to The Ferryman, I had learned a lot about myself and developed things to a certain point that then I could, I could use all that and bring that with me whenever I did the ferryman and then mixed with the fact that I was doing something that, uh, that I related to on a very personal level and something that I had been part of the, uh, the genesis of, you know, I had, I had known about it from the moment Jez got the, the idea and was kind of, and was let in on the process the whole way through it being written. and um, and so just, Moving through that the the way that I did meant by the time I got on stage, I had um a, a a quiet confidence and a relaxation on stage that I don't think I had ever experienced before. I think the relaxation is is a huge part of it. I think once once you once you can learn how to be completely relaxed and just paying attention on stage rather than concentrating and trying to get things right and trying to be focused instead just being (laughs) is like it's a whole new way of being on the stage and and that just that taught me so much and I kind of feel like now that I know what that is that's what I'll always be chasing in the work that I do and if I don't feel that then I'll feel like something's a bit wrong
1: well there we go (laughs) (laughs) But <laughs> <laughs> that that was the an answer.
0: What, wasn't it? Was that way? Was that way too actory
1: <laughs> I mean, that, no, not at all, not at all. I mean, uh, it it just took you through, like, I mean, what a journey. Uh, that it wasn't even uh, prior to the play itself, and then after it was like, like mm. you say, it started six, seven years before, and I think, yeah, um, a lot of the time people wouldn't understand that. People wouldn't. People would just think you get the play, you get the lines you got four. Yeah weeks get on stage do your best if it's good enough great (laughs) yeah Um, yeah yeah Um, well, I think
0: that it's it's really, it, I think that it's not something you often know at the time. If there are people who know it at the time that they're going through all that, then that's incredible. But, you know, it's usually only in hindsight that you can look back and go, oh, OK, so that's where that started. And that's I can see that, you know, the journey that I was on now. But I think it's a really important thing for actors to bear in mind. And, and I'm going to try and bear it in mind in, in my future is that you don't always know what it is that you're in and i don't mean literally in terms of the you know the play you're in or the tv show you're in or whatever but you don't know what point in your career and in your life uh you're at and so you've got to just be present in that because you don't know what it's leading to going forward so you've really got to just be present and and do the the uh, do the thing to the very very best ability you can because it may not be the thing that you want to be doing but it you just, you just don't know what, what it's teaching you or if you're open to it, what it can be contributing to you.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And you also don't know if they there's going to be Joss Whedon in there.
0: Sit in the audience, true. Sit in the audience.
1: <laughs> and it's going to give you an HBO series a couple yeah. of years down the line. Um so you know <laughs> always be prepared. That's exactly.
0: What, don't don't go is. out and phone it in because you never know when he's going to be sitting there.
1: <laughs> but the thing is that is so true. We've all heard of the stories. I personally have never done this. Um when <laughs> actors are on stage and they're having little sort of jokes between themselves even in the most serious of plays. Yeah. Uh, the flip which I've never done. Um, and,
0: I have but, but, but,
1: well well Laura okay clearly I shouldn't then I'd be in HBO <laughs> that's where I've gone wrong Um, but but there is a truth there is a truth in the fact that like you know sometimes you can sort of like no, well you say phone it in but just know it inside out you know exactly mm-hmm. where you're going to go you know exactly what you're going to say
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and you just never know who's out there even yeah. on a Saturday matinee uh, exactly. with a load of grannies, yeah. you know they could be a very important granny in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they could help your career. You well, know? here's
0: where I'm gonna name drop. I did get out of it. I mean, you know, we're all guilty of the of the matinee. Uh... The matinee slump. But uh yeah, I learned quite early on whenever we were doing the ferryman in New York and came out of a Wednesday matinee just feeling like, oh god, I'm glad that's over. Only to find out that Robert De Niro had been in the audience. So it's like, yeah, don't don't go uh don't go get in the matinee slump.
1: Oh. <laughs> Grandad De Niro.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: no. What a, that is amazing. What a legend. <laughs> a, I tell you, that I mean that was something with um i mean this isn't this this is my podcast i'll talk about me for a moment uh I did but when i did play goes wrong there was a lot of uh, people would come in and i missed tom cruise by about two weeks and um, basically our run finished uh, and then he came in and tom cruise came came uh, to see it then went backstage talked to everyone i was uh, like oh, oh for my God hero
0: sake. oh i know that's so annoying so, I know I oh, well.
1: was, was, was like gutted. You but could have, you
0: could have been, you know, the the next hot blonde woman in in the next uh Mission Impossible what? or something. Or a you, top, you know, you don't Top Gun 2. Yeah, you could have yeah, you could have been you could have been the next Goose.
1: well yeah the new goose yeah because obviously obviously we know the main reason why he's not in top gun 2
0: Goose, you could have been in goose 2
1: spoiler alert he died (laughs) um there we go um but talking talking about the river you obviously quickly went over that because you were talking about the whole story fully through the ferryman um but in the river uh you you acted with dominic west who then his his part uh, was taken over by hugh jackman when you went over to broadway um and i think what is the key thing that we need to know is who was better (laughs) I I
0: i i am going to be very diplomatic and truthful uh, which is to say that they both brought something completely different to it. So I, it felt like two very different plays, and it helped as well. I thought well you were
1: going that, to say men there. It felt like two very different <laughs> very men. Very
0: different men. Funnily enough, they are. Um, it, no, it felt like two different plays, and I think that uh, a huge part of that was done to – ian rickson and another part of it was down to the fact that we had quite a bit of time between both iterations i think we did the the new york run two years i think after we had done the the west the the, sorry the royal court one so it it we when we went to new york we approached it as an entirely new play uh re-rehearsed it from the ground up and formed a new it had had a different set it had a different it had a different layout um because the theater theater in new york was more in the round and uh obviously the royal court is a is a classic proscenium shape and um and so we had uh, completely reconfigured it by the time we went to New York and I think that that was really helpful because it stopped me comparing the two I mean Dominic has you know I think every actor brings a, a brings like one thing for free, you know everybody has like one thing that they kind of uh bring to a character that is is a bit of a marker of of, of many of the characters that they play and I think with dominic mm. there's a there's a darkness there yeah. and and with Hugh, it's actually the opposite it's a charm and a lightness, and so they. Uh, they they played them just so differently that it just gave me completely different experiences both times, and I thankfully therefore did not have to sit there and compare and be sitting thinking, you know, oh, well, actually Dominic said that line a bit better, and I been... <laughs> <Yeah. Dirt yourself laughs> on you, yeah, sort yourself out, mate. On, step it up a bit. <laughs> um, so it's not you know, bloody think...
1: Wolverine, all right? <laughs> you can't just pull that out all the time. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, and 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 it's funny because because they played them so differently. The audiences had very different reactions as well. I remember at the Royal Court, so many people being convinced that it was going to turn out to be some kind of murder mystery. <laughs> they were, you know, there were there were lots of people came up afterwards and said, "Oh, when that knife when that knife came out, I was sure that you were going to stab her." And it's like <laughs> what? <laughs> um, but I don't think there's something to do with Dominic's, like I say, his natural darkness and and, and a feeling that he's just. Um, not telling you everything, a feeling that he's in some way being big sly and, and 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 pulling the wool over your eyes, just just to had people naturally feel that way. Whereas lots of people when they came out of the river in New York just felt oh so sorry for Hugh's character. <laughs> and just, you know, oh, they wanted to just take him home and mother him and you know, just treat it like teach him that everything can be all right in the world. Cause Hugh just brings a sense of of um of safety with him.
1: Uh, well, uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely. I think, I think there's a bit. this there's, there's a worldwide love for mm. Hugh Jackman, that, and it's uh, justified.
0: I, think, I have to say, <laughs> I, I will hold my. I'm a card-carrying member of the Hugh Jackman fan club,
1: which I'm sure you are with Dominic West as well. I'm, like Dominic, if you're listening, um, <laughs> it's just you've got <laughs> it's a you've got a bit of danger about you. And we don't he, trust you,
0: and he okay. knows it. <laughs> okay, that's so it. I, I adore Dominic, and yeah. he knows that too. So it's but Dominic yeah. would never have a fan club, so that's that's why I can't. Well, he's not trustworthy,
1: hard. so he's, like, you know,
0: exactly you can't you can't rely on him for that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's it. You know. That's, sorry, that's the way. it is, Dominic, you will always love you because I know you'll be listening to this. Oh dear. <laughs> Right. Well, since we're on a more entertaining (laughs) note, like a bit more light note, because obviously there was uh, some like some terrible stories uh, earlier uh, in the podcast. Yes. Yes. Um. These, all those, these could be terrible or entertaining. uh, (laughs) What, what, what would you say your worst edition has ever been?
0: I would say that it was during an LA pilot season those things can be brutal anyway um and you know if anybody's listening who's ever done it uh they'll know what I'm talking about whenever particularly if you're a woman you've got to uh get up and spend you know an hour and a half getting yourself ready you don't go to an LA edition without you know your perfect blow dry and your full face of makeup and a tight dress and you know sky high heels and all of that and then you then, and this is all in, you know, L.A. heat. And then you drive to you've got to take the new costumes with you because you may be doing a couple of editions that day. You might be doing three or four editions in that day and you drive all around L.A. and you sit in traffic for several hours at a time. And you're going over your lines in the car, and you're just nervous for an entire day while you go through all of these different things. And you've had about 24 hours to learn all of the scripts, and you're supposed to be off book for them all and all the rest. So it was one of those classic days. And I drove from Santa Monica to Burbank, which took me about two hours in I'm just, blazing uh, heat.
1: Just like, like, <laughs> uh, I mean, I may, I may take out the word classic uh, for the. <laughs> <laughs> Those classic days in the in the heat of L. A. No, um, as in cl-
0: classic pilot season days. Because like yes, I say, if anybody, if anybody is, is is listening to this, who's done it, they will they will know what I mean by a classic pilot season day. Um right, cool. and So That's I cool. had I had driven the two hours to Burbank in the blazing heat, and I got in to the audition, and I sat in the usual corridor with you know fifty other women who looked pretty much exactly like me uh, but hotter. And, um, and then I, uh, you know, all, all with longer legs, all with, you know, with a tan. And, uh, and I walked in and you get about 30 seconds in the room as you face five sour face looking people and they go, okay, read. And so I started reading this thing that I, you know, sat up for most of the night learning because I'd been given about 12 hours for that one. And as I began my piece, I got looked at like I had three heads. And I, as I gently tailed off mid-sentence, uh, they just said, what are you doing? I was like, what do you mean? I went, those aren't, that's not the scene. I went, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? And they said, let, let, me see your, let me see your sides. And I passed it over. They went, no, this is, this is for a different job. And I was like, oh, okay. And they said, okay, so just, just go out and sort it out. And so I left the room and went down to the car park and called my agent. And they had sent me the wrong sides for the audition. And they said, do you want us to send you through the new ones? And you can we've, we've called them and they'll say they'll see you again. Do you want to just learn them for 20 minutes and then go back in? And at that point, I was like, no, that's okay. I think this day's done. And after, you know, I have probably had a brief weep in the car, I drove my two hours back to my apartment in Santa Monica.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh dear god
0: you know pick yourself up dust yourself off do it all again the next day
1: this is why you know it's a question that i, I always ask because we, we've all had terrible mm-hmm. additions, but to get all those like and you get you get loads of lines and to go in mm-hmm. and to do all that prep for it to just be oh yeah everything yeah, that you've yeah. done no, no point. point
0: your previous 24 hours were a waste of time and they look at you like it's your fault <laughs> like you're a complete idiot for coming in there and doing that no sympathy oh it's terrible but yeah i gave up i gave up the pilot season game a few years ago because it just it was a little too soul destroying with no results
1: <laughs> it is something i mean that i think every actor thinks mm-hmm. about when especially when you're a drama school. it's mm-hmm. something that people always mention oh you ever go over to the states mm-hmm. just sort of do it and that um Fortunately, um, well, I think for most parts, I wouldn't have to put on high heels and loads no, of makeup. Indeed. But that is the fortunate thing about just being bald and slightly overweight uh, most of the time. <laughs> it, there's nothing I can do, so it's just like, we, we we clearly have chosen you for a reason. The reason I want is, I want to start
0: like, a campaign, though. I think I think that there should be a campaign going forward where nobody has to do anything to alter their appearance it should be like the most basic thing you should go, you should be dressed in black you should ha- not have to wear any makeup and you should have your hair slicked back it should be like the most basic form of yourself so that they can uh, particularly for women this would just take so much of the pressure out of these things because our job isn't to put on the makeup and the hair and the costumes that'll all be taken care of if we get the job so that's not part of it's not part I of the know. talent anyway so what are they testing what you can do your eyeliner right or you can do your blow dry right so I think it should just be a just a, like a uniform idea that women will come as their basic selves, basically the way most men get to go to auditions so that they can concentrate, can, yes. concentrate on the acting. And then if everybody knows that there's just like we're all at our lowest common denominator, then then, you know, they'll they'll <laughs> just have to they'll have to superimpose in their in their minds the makeup that they would put on you. But you get cast because you can act instead of because you did your great blow dry that day.
1: Well, I think that's—I think it's a nice, a nice <laughs> idea, and I actually think you bring it. <laughs> you
0: know, it's no. not a chance.
1: Um, but you know, what would be beautiful though is that, you know, if someone came in, they like you know, they did have a heel on or a, a bit of eyeliner, i would just be like, "I'm sorry, could you please leave?" That would be it. <laughs> that's it, done. I'm sorry, you got yep. a blow dry. Yep, leave exactly. the room.
0: Yeah, we could take it one step further. Exactly. Everybody could shave their heads. <laughs>
1: Yes. <laughs> Everyone just comes in <laughs> bold. Like you know, it's just like interesting. Yeah. Interesting. yeah.
0: No, I think we should oh, be able dear. to come as our natural selves. I'm gonna start a campaign someday.
1: I think there is definitely that the uh there is a hundred percent uh something in that. Um like you know, and I think uh like you do say that um, women have to do a ton more mm-hmm. uh than what guys do. I mean, basically for me it's like, oh, it's a football edition i'll wear my football yeah. top uh, that's that's about as, yeah. as far as it yeah. goes yeah. <laughs> like, you know and sometimes i'll turn up at the audition and people go oh he's trying too yeah. hard <laughs> um so like actually like you know with guys, it's almost like don't yeah, do anything exactly. because you exactly. know exactly that's the complete opposite <laughs> Completely. yeah um Still on this vein of a bit more sort of light-hearted and not so much focused on all the different uh, things that 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 you have done, um, but did when when you've been on mm-hmm. stage, I think we've, every actor and actress has had a moment um when they're like you know their stomach has just fell out their <laughs> yeah, arse basically yeah. <laughs> like like as you have you uh, what would you say like can you me- remember a oh, moment God, specifically
0: day. uh whenever I it was my first job it was my first professional job um outside of driver school and it was um a play that I was doing in Dublin it was a David Mamet play and uh called A Boston Marriage and it's uh, my character who's a young maid in the house of two older women who are living together um, in an apartment and it's set uh, I think it's Victorian kind of set and um, I the nature of my character is that I'm coming in and out of, of their of their room all the time and just, it's just constant entrance say several things have a, have a bit of a scene and leave again and I'm kind of the 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 main comic effect and uh one day i walked i don't know what had happened but i just i i, th- I had lost focus and I, I just suddenly knew it was my cue, and i had to walk on stage but i ha- I didn't have in my head what it was that i needed to say and so i just walked on stage and then i just had to stand there and stare at them <laughs> i had no idea oh. and of course there was nothing they could do because I'm supposed to come in bringing the news or bringing the question or bringing, you know, whatever the change of scene is, I'm walking in with it.
1: That's the worst. <laughs> I just walked in. That is the worst. Just stood there. <laughs> but the thing about it is, is we've all been on both sides. Yeah. One, we've been the person, you go out and you just go, brain has just fallen yeah, out of my head. Yeah. Absolute brain yeah. fart. Uh, but the person across from you, and you've been in that position, is you see the person and their eyes just yeah. widen and then you're like oh Oh, no we gotta
0: carry this one there which they which they did beautifully and they were both much more experienced than I was and um you know and the funny thing is of course like now that I would just love a, a moment like that I love when things go wrong on stage now because it's just if you're secure in what you're doing if you really know uh what and and like I was saying before if you're if you're relaxed and you're paying attention then you can absolutely carry it through and it's suddenly this moment of absolute magic where you just get to figure something out live in front of hundreds of people and they may know there's something up there may they may not know there's something up but either way you can't lose it's all it's going to be fine regardless of what happens because even if the whole thing falls apart an audience just loves that so I now when things go wrong on a stage I just I'm in my element I mean when we were doing the ferryman and uh, the character playing uh, the elderly uncle, Uncle Pat, in the first act, just w- made a gesture, knocked over his whiskey glass, and it shattered all over the stone floor. And we had kids running in and out in their mm. in their bare feet, and we had you know people just like c- coming in and out. All, it's a huge cast, and it was so much traffic. And of course, I'm you know playing essentially the the, the housewife of the house, so I just had to shit, like I had to just run around in the different parts of the set that I knew and hoping that there'd be something that I could sweep it up with I went into the cupboard where you would keep a dustpan and brush and found a <laughs> dustpan and brush and and just and yeah oh, really? I thank God for our set designers they, you know he, they were just oh, yeah, they amazing. Were so so thorough so even cupboards that never got opened had stuff in them that would be in there and so <laughs> that's never so that would
1: never I be got there a dustpan
0: and brush and I spent most of the rest of the act delivering all my lines and doing everything I was supposed to but at the same time just sweeping all the glass up from all over the stage and when I got up to cut potatoes my my, uh my knees were cut to ribbons and there was like blood running down my legs so then I had to go and find like cloth and you know but all of this I just and it's the joy of being in a a very naturalistic play as well it was all fine because that's just what would happen so I was just having the time of my life it was brilliant
1: (laughs) You see, with that, the amazing thing about that is like that kind of the, the same thing happened when I was doing the play Goes Wrong. Um, it genuinely went big, wrong. A big got, like I know, <laughs> uh, uh, unbelievably. Um, a, a vase got smashed and it went everywhere over yeah. the stage. But they just they just come out, and uh, this is what happens anytime it properly goes wrong come out and just go to the audience, guys. Well, their version of it's God tips up, so sit where you are, and we're going to sort it, and then we'll kick off again. <laughs> then they walk off, and my character, because my character, this is the thing, they bring down the uh, the, mm-hmm. the curtain, uh, and I'm out in the audience because my like my little booth was out in the audience because I'm the, the stage technician, uh, and I have to turn around and do a quiz to keep them all happy. <laughs> like, the best thing about it is. They did this, but they didn't give me oh, a quiz. I was up there and I'm like I'm like oh and it is that moment where you go, all of my general knowledge is <laughs> oh, like
0: awesome.
1: I don't know my name. I know, so I was just I, I just I did capital cities. We had a little capital cities quiz <laughs> until they lifted the curtain again. Excellent. Fortunately I know. My first question was, what's the capital of Scotland? I was that <laughs> what, all what are the absolute
0: <laughs> basic truths of life that I know? <laughs> What was my childhood telephone that. number?
1: I know. I was like, why? Why can't you get it, people? Come on, five hundred people who don't know me. But come on,
0: what's my middle uh, name? Although it would
1: be, yeah, no, it would have been worrying if someone got my telephone number of when I was a child.
0: Yeah, yeah, that would have been a much more pause for the show at that point.
1: Yeah, no, I was like, guys, security. <laughs> um, but no, fair play. I mean, to to carry on. Uh, to like to do all of that, but I think that that is the shift. Yeah. I mean, I always remember it, at drama school, uh, that happened. Like we we had moments and and stuff on stage where, and you'd have a brain fart, your words would go, and they were never coming yeah. back. Cause like like uh, like you know earlier on in your career, you were just like, ah, yeah. yeah, done, and it was like yeah. I'm gone. Um, but it goes to show, people listening, you can forget your lines and still. Winning
0: Olivia. <laughs> eh? As, as, as long as that is not the day that Charles Whedon's sitting in the audience.
1: <laughs> no, no. No, no, no. Oh, dear. Um, so, yeah, no, you said that um, later on in your career, uh, the ferryman was a bit of a gear mm. change. I was just wondering if there was a bit earlier. Uh, in your career that you would say it was a bit of a defining moment where things really changed for you? I think,
0: you. Um, well, kind of like what I was saying is you often only recognise those things in hindsight, you know, and I think uh, they don't, don't necessarily feel like they are in the moment and 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 every, jo- well, almost, let's not say every job, some are dead ends and you know it and, and that's that and you're glad to be done but uh, the, the um, I would say that
1: Which which jobs uh, were um, that? Beowulf exactly?
0: on ITV. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, she named it. It's out there. Um,
0: uh, no, but I think uh, often I felt more of a shift after theatre jobs, funnily enough, which wasn't the way that I kind of came into the profession thinking that it would work. I always thought, you know, TV will kind of get you noticed, get you forward and theatres for the love of it. And actually, I think that every time I did a play, I often found that things just stepped up that little bit more and maybe again because each time i was doing a play i was learning something i was growing in confidence that's that's probably part of it um but also there's just i think you you know you get you get more traction out of theater you get seen particularly if it is in london you know you get seen by more people than than you necessarily realize um and so you get to walk into your next auditions and whoever you're, you happen to be auditioning with has maybe just seen that play. And it's something to start off a conversation with. And, um, you know, and I, I, I noticed that very often after plays, I definitely noticed after I had done a play at the Almeida called judgment day. Uh, that was whenever Ian Rickson, um, saw me for the first time and he remembered me then when he was casting the river a few years later, and and decided yeah. to bring me in and it, i know it was his choice his call to bring me in for the audition and of course then that resulted in me meeting jez and and my my whole world changed about at that point and certainly in in meeting jez that experience of doing the river working with ian working with jez and then just uh, the personal side of things getting to know jez so well afterwards and and seeing how he approached his art and um and how how he works that that just taught me so much about um about how I wanted to to be more focused and more serious about about my work going forward i mean the things that i learned in that stage around around the river were just absolutely um were 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 life changing and and career changing because i i think i really learned to to grow up a bit uh in, ter- in terms of working at that point to take myself more seriously and to back myself um more seriously to, to to not be afraid of having ambition I think for so long I kind of thought because so many people view acting as as a slightly unrealistic um attempted profession I I was inclined as I think lots of actors are to kind of underplay it a bit and just think well you know it'll work out if it works out and you know I'm 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 trying to be you know not to be seen as a dreamer and all that kind of thing but whenever I I met Jez and saw how he how he worked and also Ian and how seriously they took what they do it kind of I felt like I got permission to to really take what I do seriously as well and to really um to to really have proper ambition for myself and to not to not apologize for it.
1: Well, no, I think that, um, like you say, that definitely is a thing. I think is a weird thing that, um, in the acting industry, because you're we we are all sort of people that put ourselves up there out on stage in front of folk and sort of like obviously are doing a performance. But at the same time, yeah, yeah. um, a lot of people in our industry aren't willing to sort of like because the, there is this fear of actually going oh, I can Mm -hmm. do this Mm -hmm. or I can achieve this and actually believing Mm -hmm. in themselves and saying it. Because sometimes when you say like, you know what, I think I'm quite good. Now, like, well, you're a bit yeah, fool of yourself, yeah, aren't
0: you? Yeah. Like, well, yeah. why? Or, why? Or you know, you got an idea in your head that it's going to be like as soon as you say that, then then the the universe is going to teach you not to think like that. You know, so well, we will just take yeah. you down a peg or two, and um, and soon when you actually start backing yourself a bit, and you don't need to back yourself one hundred percent, you just need to back yourself fifty one percent, and uh, you know, and when when you do that, when you actually decide to to take a risk and put yourself out there, uh, with the risk of Uh, achieving big and therefore with the risk of failing big you realize that the the failing part of it isn't nearly as scary as you thought
1: (laughs) to be honest that is very good to hear because i i I do remember at drama school you were always seen as extremely good um but you never seemed to fully back Mm. or i don't know believe in Mm -hmm. yourself at Mm -hmm. that time um and uh, by the sounds of things, it's not like a, I would say a career defining moment that's happened. It's been something mm-hmm. that's built with, like you say, over mm-hmm. the years, uh, with everything mm-hmm. you've done, you've learned, and with certain people, they've helped mm-hmm. you as well in yeah, learning. Absolutely. Um, so, so, yeah. So, uh, which which is fantastic. Thanks. Um, and now you know you are where you are. Um, and like I say, hats off, and very proud to have uh, been a class oh, member nice. with you. Uh, no problem at all. All right, uh, Laura Donnelly, that is last order, so that means it's time for some quick fire questions before we get our final pint of the night in. Okay, so here we go. You ready for this? Yeah, first question What is your hidden talent
0: uh i um i'm a good gymnast
1: you are I a good can, gymnast
0: i i can do all sorts of um very complicated back backbendy things
1: <laughs> you can oh, um and you're also you 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 also can river dance can't you i can yeah yeah
0: can. there we go or, or as or as we call it irish dancing
1: i i understand. <laughs> that was so so british of me there it was almost american of me really i was like it's like you can river dance um okay next up guilty pleasure
0: uh watching episodes of dr phil i'm a mad dr phil fan
1: dr phil yeah yeah there we go what a reveal
0: and that's kind of work and, and you know, it's personal life because actually you learn a lot of things about people's psyches watching Dr. Phil.
1: <laughs> right, next up, pet hates.
0: Uh, people who chew loudly.
1: Straight in there, one, bang. Yeah. Any other? Yeah. Uh,
0: just gen- generally, like, just, no- I have that condition, what's it called, o- Omniphobia oh, omnip- or whatever it is, I can't remember the name of it, but uh, it's just that thing of, like, unnecessary consistent loud noises beside me like people breathing loudly people eating loudly people swallowing loudly anything like that just those those little noises that get into the middle of your brain and drive you absolutely insane
1: favorite actor
0: oh god there are just so many um i mean um, i'd say the best of all of them would have to be daniel day lewis but mark Rylands too
1: Oh God! They, they are two fantastic shouts. um yeah. Well done, well done, you. I'm thanks, fair.
0: thanks, thanks for. <laughs> I, I feel like I've made a great achievement. Really liking to. Sure I give you a prize.
1: <laughs> Have a prize.
0: Have <laughs> a prize for spotting the same thing everybody else spotted.
1: Yeah, no, it's only got three Oscars. Like you know, um <laughs> favorite actress.
0: Meryl Streep. Uh, I mean, all of these are really obvious because they are just you know unequivocally. Yeah,
1: I was I was going to say well um, done yeah, after yeah, that I, one because I, I was like I'm what? just
0: trying to I'm just trying to think of who. Do you know who I really really love? If like we're talking more contemporaries, and um, like I really love Ruth Wilson. I think she's amazing.
1: Yes, very. I was going to say very good and well done again. Yes, very, <laughs> thanks, like, thanks, like, big achievement. Congratulations. <laughs> 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 right, uh, who was your idol growing up?
0: Uh, probably Judy Dench. I think. I think I always, uh, I, I, I always kind of had a, an eye on on what she had been doing at whatever point I was in my career, and thinking how has has this weighing up. <laughs> and, um, and I loved it actually because whenever I did, uh, I did Romeo and Juliet at Regent's Park Theatre, um, and the the reviews were were pretty good. They weren't you know unanimously brilliant. They were pretty good, but one one really bad review. Referred to me along the lines of um, that I that I waved my arms around like a manic marionette, and um, and whenever I not long after that read Judy Dench's autobiography, she got and I swear this is true almost word for word the precise same review for her Juliet. <laughs>
1: there you go. It was written in the like,
0: I was just like, oh my god. Well, if that is good enough for her, that is good enough for me. And I never feared a bad review after that ever again.
1: I know. So basically, people are coming up to you going, look, five stars, Laura Donnelly, amazing. And you're like, yeah, but look at this, one star.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Weaving <laughs> arms around.
0: Me. He hated <laughs> me in exactly the same way as that guy, Heidi Judy Dench. I know.
1: Hey. <laughs> oh, brilliant.
0: Favourite review ever.
1: Uh-huh. And finally, if you were not an actress, what would you be?
0: Uh, I would have loved to have been a dancer, but I think that those days are are past um
1: Never. I think
0: <laughs>
1: don't give up your I dream think,
0: um, <laughs> I think I would have loved to have been a uh, psychotherapist, and that is um that is probably why I love watching dr Phil
1: well, there we go mm-hmm.
0: Although, do you know what? Actually, do you know what I would really, and I think it would really suit me? I'd love to be a big truck driver across America. Like one of those guys with all of the lights in the front of their cabin and like who just eat out of truck stops and, you know, Burger Kings (laughs) all the time. And you just drive for like 12 hours at a time across desert and you're just by yourself and you listen to your music. And then maybe at the end, you go in and sit in a bar and drink some whiskey and listen to Tom Waits. I think think that's my ideal life.
1: Okay, so it was... uh... Either, either a dancer <laughs> or a big truck driver,
0: <laughs> a long haul truck driver in America. It has to be in America,
1: right? Okay, brilliant. All right. Well, thank you, thank you very thank much, you. Uh, Laura Donnelly, for joining me on a performer, a pint, and a pod. Um, next up, I suppose, is that that we're going to see you is on the the Nevers. Um, yeah we about. <laughs>
0: whenever we get to finish it <laughs> yes is
1: there uh, anywhere else that we can watch you anything else that you are on right now
0: uh, i don't th- what was the last thing i did i've been I've, I've been on the nevers forever it's been like the longest shoot of a first season of anything ever and then of course before that i was on stage for like three years so i don't think i've done anything recently that anybody's going to be able to see
1: well yes i mean of course if anyone's watching the box set of Outlander they will see you on that.
0: indeed and and Britannia I'm in and a Britannia. bit of that and that's that's a fun one I get I get to do lots of fun things in that
1: sure. Well thank you very much uh, Laura and uh, thank you. Hopefully get to see you soon. yes
0: indeed for, for an actual real life
1: face-to-face point. There we go that was Laura Donnelly, the Olivier award-winning actress who wants to be a long-haul truck driver. What a career, from clearing up broken glass in a West End show to battling with rogue prosthetic boots on the set of Outlander. I'll be meeting fantastic performers in the pub over the next few weeks and months with career-defending moments and secrets from behind the scenes. So make sure and don't miss out by subscribing to A Performer, A Pint and A Pod and follow at Performer pint on socials. I've been your host, Graham Rooney. Thank you for listening. Please do rate and review. I'd love to hear your thoughts, unless, of course, you don't like me, then please do keep them to yourself. And remember, no one likes a stingy mate at the pub. So, share the pod with friends and family. See you next week.